Hello everybody and welcome to episode 67 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, Grand Theft Auto, turns out it's pretty popular, King of Kong news, the best four words in the English language, more news from IO Interactive, is Sheik Zanzibar still employed? This week on the book club, it's space shooty platforming fun in Commander Keen. Let's start the show. Yo, what up? It's Link to the Cast with your boy D Money, and over there's my homeboy M Slice. What up? Uh, alright. What was it? What was it? Ah. Oh. See, the effects of that would have been good if the timing had been a little bit more. I know. You know? I just I just installed the app this moment. You're a bundle of energy. I know, yeah, well. well I've been watching yeah. the football. All right, I'm up. Madander is up. Okay, fair enough. You know, United won the Europa League. I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. You know, for a late night cast. Yeah, I know, right? I've had my seven up. Are you, is that all, what, for once, I've had my dinner before we recorded and not uh, wait until okay. stupid o'clock as well. So Yeah, that's the thing we tend to do. I won't be if we, we end up making a segue talking about food at some point, as has happened numerous times on this show. I won't immediately be starving. Um. So all signs point to good casting. Fingers crossed. Well, I mean, as Indeed. good as we are. Able of doing. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan. I should probably do a proper introduction. Hmm. Uh, joined as I am each and every week on the couch beside me by the platforming prodigy that is Mark Robinson. Hi. How's it going, friend? Uh, I. It's not been a great week, let's be honest. <laughs> no, no. Um, we are an oasis of calm. We are. An oasis we are. of calm. Um, uh, very, very sad about the news of uh, Chris Cornell. Um, yeah, that, like, that this one. week has just been repeated kicks to the fucking teeth, yeah. let me tell you. Uh, I myself, um, you know, big old fan of of the the Seattle scene and the sound, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was a big fan of Soundgarden through the years. Fifty two years old, it's no I age. Know. Yeah. Mm. Um, and obviously the, the the circumstances what have come out from that, and I mean we'll probably hear more over the following kind of weeks and months. But yeah, that that one just took me by surprise because like Cornell admitted himself that he'd had like bouts of depression when he was younger mm. and that certainly reflected through in his music and his lyrics mm. and it was one of those kind of bands that like resonated with me and you know like Holy Bible Manics is one of those yeah, albums yeah. as well and Inusro Nirvana and uh, and you think you know you get past 50 you have a family and everything starts to just kind of settle into place but apparently not so yeah it's been uh, then, then then it was Roger Moore that yeah, one also, Sir Roger Moore, Night of the Realm. But you know, let's be fair that that was uh, that was a good life led. It was a know? good life. Eighty nine years young, I believe it was. Run up, like that. Run up a pretty good score. Yeah. Um, not my favorite Bond by any stretch. No, no. Um, um he good, at his best a good Bond. It was weird though because he took over the franchise already middle aged. Yeah. Uh, so he was like dad bond basically <laughs> yeah it was it was getting really rough like, from like octopusy onwards yeah. and then by a fucking it, uh, I wonder a like did a lot of it come down to you know if you squint a certain way he kind of looks like Sean Connery's dad <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, he, he. To be fair, he had some of my favorite Bond films and some of my most despised. Like the Spy Who Loved Me is, I think, a, a top five. Mm. You know, and nobody does it better. Is probably the best Bond song in my subjective opinion. Um, but stuff like Octopussy is is trash. Fear Your Eyes Only is trash. Um, Where do you fall on the Living Daylights? Uh, I know someone who that's legitimately their favorite Bond movie. I well, here's the thing. I don't think the Living Daylights or um, a license to kill are like great Bond films, but mm-hmm. Timothy Dalton is a great Bond, uh, a great James Bond. Yeah. And um, I actually think if he'd been given the Golden Eye film, I think he'd have been fucking great with that. But do, it was like six six years later. So do you want to see the the only Bond film I've never heard anybody say is one of their favorites or their favorite? Um, I imagine there's a few. There's one in particular because you'll find apologists for most of them. Hmm. Do you mean like for example the classic one of recent bonds is the the idea and it is I I do hold to it is that Quantum of Solace is a lot better if you literally watch it if you start watching it as the credits roll in Casino Royale no as a one two no I I tell you what because because the whiplash you get from how those two films are filmed like, no it's it's true it genuinely does work watch them back to back Mark it is a better movie it's objectively better there are more that. there are more like quick cuts in the first five minutes of Quantum of Solace than there is in the entirety of it's the still Royale. better if you watch them one after the other okay what's what's the film uh, Thunderball I don't mind Thunderball Thunderball's shit I, I know fuck we've you had, Thunderball <laughs> is goddamn off no no Look, I'm not having it I, you can't come in here to me and do Quinty Miscellany's Quinty Miscellany's and go yeah but Thunderball's not that bad I go fuck yourself mate Look, I've go not watched, fuck it no I've not watched Thunderball no, in a long time no but I've never had I'm any issues with the it. film. It's awful. It's, I'm sorry it's, it's the worst I'm it's sorry. fucking interminable I'm sorry Quantum of Solace is fucking awful I, I am sorry, but you can't then come and say, you can say I it's bad all you want, can. but then you can go, Thunderbolt's not that bad. It is orders of magnitude worse. I because sh- at least people are doing acting in Quantum of Solace. There are people... Uh, yeah, Daniel Craig is a fine actor. Yes. All right, fine. That cannot be said about anything that's happening in Thunderbolt. I will go and I will watch that film again at some point. Oh yeah, it's down back. there. It's know, fucking horseshit of the highest order. Um, one thing I was going to bring to your, to your attention... Absolute madman. Ah, fuck off. Um, one thing I was going to bring to your attention that I, I tweeted about yesterday. Uh, I So I watched about uh, 20 minutes random clips of Robocop, the original, right? Mm-hmm. And I can't understand. And it might have been that I was given a toy like when the TV series or Robocop 3 came out. But I can't understand how I was given a toy of Robocop considering what that film, that original film is, you know? Because yeah, um... like, I, I remember watching the original Robocop when I was very, very young. And uh, Ed 209 terrified the fucking shit out of me. Mm. Um, and I just... I... There are a couple of films, like a friend of the show, Sean McGee, pointed out, like, you have, like, alien toys that, you know, yeah, kids yeah. have. Yeah. <laughs> what I think of children's so films. There was Leatherface toys. Yeah, you just... know, like, it's, um, it's a weird period, because it wasn't until, God, when would have the, um, so when was MK1? Or oh, original Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. Uh, 92, I think? Or it wouldn't be till after that, that the whole... PC panic over gratuitous violence kicked into high gear. So it's like anything before that is like the like parental guidance actually meant parental guidance where it was like these films are probably not suitable for children, but if parents are cool with them going to see it, then fuck it. Well, I don't know. Like I, I imagine I because like mid eighties films and violence is probably before our time in in knowing the kind of uproar that happened. But I mean, considering that we were 
of that time and you know we've probably read a thousand articles and stuff to do with you know the early 90s and video game violence mm. like that's more apropos for saying that we'd know yeah but that's what i mean there's like no one no one cared until this period of time uh, in the 90s like there was there's definitely a lot more of ah sure fuck it'll be fine you know, mm. kids are kids are kids. If the parents individually decide, the kids led watch RoboCop. Let well, the kid watch I mean, RoboCop. I think as well. Obviously, like during the early '90s, video game consoles were still seen as a thing that kids mm. played. You know, so I think that played a large. But also, part even as I was growing up, people were a lot less strict about the like. If you're going into a cinema that was age rated above you, they were kind of just like, Go on. "Oh, really? Yeah, like unless it was a hard 18s." <laughs> Like, a kid was pretty much able to get into a 15s or 12s, you know, it, was, it wasn't a big deal, especially if they were accompanied by a parent. Uh, yeah, I guess that, but like, I don't know. Uh, to be fair, I mean, as a kid, I only actually saw a couple of films at the cinema, mm. and I think the most, like, intense would have been Twister. I saw Seven, I think. Jesus. So I would have been about eight or nine when Seven <laughs> came out. Because when I think of kids' films... Oh, but no, it wasn't, like, because I had a really, like, my taste in like movies and and stuff like that was fairly far along fairly early on hmm. um just for the fact that like um network two here used to show fairly grown-up movies at night and during the summer I'd, I'd watch a lot of them and i wasn't kind of i'm fairly desensitized to violence and i don't get scared i still to this day don't get scared by horror movies so it wasn't a real i don't know if it was seven it might have been something else with morgan freeman and it might have been like one of those fucking um Alex Cross, you know, along came a spider. Yeah, yeah. And what was the other one? He just kissed the girls. Yeah. Might have been one Look, of them. Even as a fucking kid, right, like Moonraker scared me as a child. Like, I'm just. <laughs> you were very skittish, were you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember um, every time I'd go around to my grandparents on Saturday nights, uh, like, they'd, every couple of weeks, they'd find some random horror film and um, just would just terrify me to pieces. Mm. Uh, I've just, I've never been one to stomach horror films. Yeah, you are not a heebie jeebie guy. No, like, I. <sighs> I'm really like I'll read horror books, mm. uh, and I do have a fascination. Do you do like Joey and Friends and put the book in the fridge if it's too scary? <laughs> I've never done that, no. <laughs> um, but and I do have a fascination with like J horror, um, yeah. and I will read like documentaries or watch documentaries and stuff like that. But the actual watching of the films, I just, I just. <sighs> That's not for me. One layer too immersive. Yeah, like because people enjoy. See, what you're saying is you're not going to play Resident Evil Seven in VR. Ah uh, no. No, because <laughs> like people enjoy Welcome to the family, so yeah, people enjoy like being scared, and it's just yeah. generally it's just not a thing, a feeling that I enjoy. See, I enjoy it because I don't really get scared. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I enjoy the the kind of like the silliness of it all, but I also enjoy the construction of horror movies, like how they're shot and how they build to no, scare. All of that, like all that. of that, I'm really interested in, and I'll watch a documentary. And I love horror tropes, which is why one of my favorite games um, on. Uh, PlayStation 4 is that um, oh the name fucking escapes me now Until Dawn Until Dawn thank you I, I literally I, it was in my <laughs> head and then as soon as I started that sentence it gone yeah yeah. Until Dawn because Until Dawn is like is so the, the, the game for people who know horror tropes and try to follow the horror tropes and then goes a complete yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but like it's been a it's been a that that segue like, like it has been a poor week. You know? It's not been a great week. Chris no. Cornell, uh, Roger Moore, and obviously our thoughts with the the people in Manchester, yeah. your home country, one of my favorite cities in the world. Yeah, uh, like we're not gonna labor too long on it because the podcast is generally bright and breezy. We this try the place for, um, 
kind of bringing the real world in. This sure. Is, like I said, nice oasis of calm. Mm. We try not to talk about politics or anything like that, but it would be remiss of us with the week that has the week that's in it not to pay attention to It'll these make kind a note of things. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, with that said, anyway, we we'll move ahead and talk about some video games. I think. Sure. Because we can be mad at them and we can we can enjoy them. <laughs> Things like that. So, uh, playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, what's what's been played? What's What are you playing? Are uh, you being played? I, uh, life plays me consistently. Um, I've been playing a... a a free-to-play mobile game called uh, Blitz Brigade. Blitz Brigade Rival Tactics. Um, and not by choice. There's reasons I'm playing it. But it's the only thing I've played this week. So I figured I would make some discussion about it. Because otherwise I'd have nothing to talk about. Um, now I'm told that it, it go it's in line with the likes of uh, Clash Royale. Um... In that, in this one here, I haven't played Clash Royale, so I don't know how uh, similar it is. I've just been informed from what I've read. But you have uh, a main kind of tower or a main um, uh, turret and, and castle, and then you have two small ones either side. Um, and then there are two lanes that you can put down like military assets. And each of these mil- military assets. Uh, are valued at a number anywhere from one to currently I'm at seven, um, and the more uh, energy that, that uh, asset requires, probably means it's a more powerful weapon or, or a person or whatever the asset is. Um, you have a bar on the left hand side that is constantly charging up towards ten. Um, when it gets to ten, it maxes out and it won't go any higher. Uh, you can use that bar to uh, drag and drop different assets onto the battlefield. So if you're at 10 and you have an energy uh, military asset that requires 4 energy, that'll put you down to 6 and it'll start charging back up again. Uh, so it requires you to be tactical in terms of what items to put down and when to put them down because you don't want to leave yourself empty of energy when uh, your opponent decides to throw down something that you don't have any way to defend against. You also need to plan carefully because you can only have eight military assets at one time. And there's a, a wide variety. Uh, there's up to 42 different military assets that cover everything from being uh, defensive type assets to uh, full out aggressive type assets to kind of glass cannon type uh, weapons that um, are very powerful but get destroyed very quickly. Um, you also have um, weapons that will only target specific uh, areas, so they might target the air, they might target uh, weapons on the ground, or they might only target buildings, um, and some different assets are classified as buildings. So there is a little bit of depth to how the game plays, but it must be said that the game is fully built in the way that you have coins and you have gems and gems are the uh, currency that you can purchase which can then be turned into coins um, you get briefcases that you earn every time you win a game and then those briefcases can take anywhere from two hours to eight hours to unlock you can speed that process up by using gems which you can purchase or you have to wait it out 
Um, when you unlock one of those briefcases, they will give you a whole bunch of different assets and coins. And the idea is that when you get duplicate of assets, that will build up. And then once you get to a certain point, you can use coins to um, uh, improve or level up those assets. And so far, I've got up to level five. But you need more coins each time you level up and you need more of those assets. And <clears throat> the whole game is built in mind with trying to get you to purchase gems and coins. I mean, it is a free to place. So obviously, they need to make money somehow. I get yeah. that. Um, but it's just, you know... It's taken me a fucking day and age to get to the point where I can unlock all of um, the the items and stuff. And so, uh, like, the game itself, it's a dime a dozen. Um, There's nothing particularly remarkable remarkable about it. But I can see how it's the kind of game that you could get sucked into very, very quickly, you know. Um, And, like, at least it does require a little bit more of you doing something. Like, I remember playing a ton of The Simpsons Tapped Out. And I remember one day I just booted it on. I was like, what am I actually doing here? Mm. You know, this isn't a game. Mm. This is, I come online, I come onto the game, I tap the cash icon a bunch of times, I build something. Busy work. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a chew- a chewing gum for the mind. Yeah, because there's a whole bunch of Facebook games like that and Farmville and whatnot. Mm. So this at least requires a little bit more, but um, I'll be very, very grateful to see the back of it as soon as I can. So, yeah, it's it's like a it's a form of a Chinese water torture method. Mm. I, I really feel like that at the moment. Death by the drop. Yeah, like I could really take that to. Um, I was gonna say guacamole bay. <laughs> When I, I meant, um, that sounds delicious. Yeah, I meant uh, the uh, advanced interrogation technique sometimes involves sour cream as Gran, well. Grand Tamanai, that was what I was on about. Yeah, just go with Gitmo. It's easier. Gitmo to... Bay. Huh. <laughs> anyway, what have you been playing? Uh, I have been picking up the Nintendo Switch this week uh, and enjoying a game on that that I talked about playing the demo of before. I think on this show, uh, and that is Puyo Puyo Tetris. Oh God, yeah, you made me play a little bit of this. My favorite. My favorite little fact about Puyo Puyo Tetris is that it's developed by Sonic Team over at Sega. That is pretty weird. So it is the best Sonic Team game in a long time, I can tell you that. You know what, while you talk about it, I'm going to have a look and see what they've made over the last 20 years. Mm, do. Um, so Puyo Puyo Tetris, for those of you, like, I, I don't think, because we did it on a, a book club recently, and it is one of the most uh, ubiquitous game concepts that there are, I don't think I need to explain the concept of Tetris, but some of some people out there may not be familiar with uh, Puyo Puyo. And it is my first game that I have ever owned that involves Puyo Puyo. So, whereas the basic game of Tetris involves you getting the, the several four-block Tetraminos uh, and fitting them together to finish rows uh, in order to clear them, with your goal obviously being to clear four at a time to create a Tetris... Um, the goal of Puyo Puyo is you have these little kind of coloredy blobs um, of different, uh, like I said, different colors, uh, and you have to try and match four together, and that pops the four of them. They they disappear then off your board. Um, the the skill in that game, rather than like in Tetris, where you try to build up four lines to get a Tetris, the skill in Puyo Puyo is to build your your board in such a way. That when you complete a set of four colors, it will... Because the other thing that I should say is that uh, once Tetris pieces are in place, as well you know, Mark Robinson, they do not necessarily... um, 
behave the same way as Puyo Puyo. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't completely, like, each individual uh, part of a tetramino doesn't obey the law of gravity, the shape as a whole does. Whereas if you, say, if you stack your Puyo Puyo in such a way as to clear four of the same color, all the the Puyo Puyos that are standing on top of where those four are will fall to the lowest possible place where there isn't a already a Puyo Puyo. So the skill is trying to chain a combo together where you can pop four and then when those Puyo Puyo fall, that pops another four. Those fall, pop another four. You start racking up points pretty big if you can get a combo of three or more. If you're doing two or one, you're never going to win a Puyo Puyo match yeah. against anybody who knows what they're doing. I noticed that pretty quickly. Yeah, um, and Puyo Puyo Tetris brings those two worlds together. Now, the, the ways you can play it, it's either a single player, um, or you can play against the AI, or you can play against another player locally or online. And the, the, the way it's done is you can there are multiple different modes. You can either stick with Tetris or stick with Puyo Puyo. Your opponent doesn't have to do that, which I like. So, like, I could decide I'm comfortable doing either or, so I'll try Puyo Puyo this time. Your experiences with Puyo Puyo playing the game probably make you want to stick with Tetris if we play it. You are more than able to do that while I play with Puyo Puyo. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do... Yeah, both people can be the same. Both people can play either one of the games you can do one where every 20 seconds or so you will flip between a tetris board and a puyo puyo board you can do um one where both kinds of pieces can fall onto the board at any moment um which is fucking bananas that's the one (laughs) mode that i haven't been able to completely get yet sure um and the the way you kind of you basically try and stay alive longer than the other guy and rack up more points in the process. Uh, if you can chain combos together of three or more in Puyo Puyo, or if you can chain combos together of three lines or more, uh, you unleash a power that attacks the other player by dropping either dead rows of Tetraminos uh, on the very bottom, so therefore bringing you up closer to the death spot at the top of the board, in Tetris, or it will drop a whole load of dead Puyo Puyos on top of the Puyo Puyos you already have. Uh, now, you can get rid of the, the dead bricks by completing the line that those bricks are on, and you can get rid of the dead Puyo Puyos by popping a combo of four that uh, touches any of those grey Puyo Puyos. Um, what this results in is um, kind of... It's a game that does a lot of things. Um, it It's a great single-player experience. Like, you can just go into endless mode. or There is an adventure mode there with some anime-as-fuck storyline involving, I think, an alien invasion from planet Puyo Puyo to planet Tetris or some bullshit like that. It's alien versus predator, but... Yeah, um, but what it does do is, like, it's, it's stacked in a way kind of like single-player games are in shooters where it's stacked in a way that gets more difficult... As it goes through but as a way to teach you the different layers involved the opponents get tougher and you go from like your first world in the adventure mode is just tetris then after a after a world maybe two worlds you move into 
Puyo Puyo. Yeah. And then after that, you move into the one where it switches between the two. And now I'm just getting up to the world where you're going to have both of them on the board at the same time, which is going to be a hoot. Um, what I can say about this game, it's hard to fuck up something as basic as that. But um, there are games that go in there and try to add, like huge amount of huge amounts of varying powers i've seen various tetris and puyo puyo games that have all sorts of weird funky powers depending on which character you pick that doesn't seem to be the case here uh, it seems to be the same basic dropping a load of um dead bricks which is a cool and tense way to keep playing a game uh, it motivates you to become much better at the game learn tactics on how best to create tetrises or how to chain combos together mm. um the, what I will say is like the, the characters and the art and the music and the the arenas, shall we say, with the, the backgrounds for the boards, basically. It's all very pleasant. It's pleasing to the eye. It's um, a real time sink of a game like the best Tetris games are. I sat down last week to watch uh, UPF, which is about a two to two and a half hour long show. I sat down about half an hour before it started. I swear to Christ, it felt like I was only playing the game for half an hour um it's also one thing it's great for because it'll be great for this is uh, what i see is the the first big game on the switch that is ideal for traveling short distances Mm -hmm. you can play a few games of tetris hop off the bus perfect you know much as i love the idea of bringing breath of the wild on the go it's not something you can do anything significant in a short period of time yeah um, I suppose in Mario Kart you can complete a couple of races in a Grand Prix, Prix or something like that. But um, one thing I can pleasantly report is that Puyo Puyo Tetris uses is, is very not intensive on that Switch battery. Not too surprised by I that. I played for a couple of hours and it was only down to about 75%. That's very good. Um, so that's one of those games because it is only, you know, I suppose it depends on what your screen brightness level is. And yeah, sure. I tend to, when I have it in tablet mode with the thing snapped to the side, I tend to automatically turn off Wi-Fi. Yeah. Um, so that'll keep it going a bit longer. So if I suppose if you're playing online or you just like leaving it online, even when you're not near Wi-Fi, if that's the way you choose to move through the world, <laughs> more power to you. But uh, I give it a strong thumbs up if you like a puzzle game, if you like Tetris, um, it's the game for you. There's a lot of skill to it. It's very much rewards you for practicing. Yeah, that game kicked my ass when yeah, I played it. Yeah, you were. I could. I what was I? I was playing Prey here in the background. Yeah, yeah. I could just hear you every few minutes going, oh, "For fuck's sake!" Yeah. Um, it's a game I think I'd need to sit down with because I. It's I, the perfect like I can drop into my yeah. like puzzle focus and just like i'm I'm grammar tetris is just being introduced to puyo puyo for the first time and the the added pressure of not playing solo tetris like if you're playing against an ai and you're going on a run in tetris and just as you're about to get a tetris your man like gets his own tetris and all of a sudden you are six rows closer to the top than you were a second ago and you have to go into panic mode i would need to see but like puyo puyo is mechanically i think very very similar to dr Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. I don't know if you ever played that mm. um, on the Mega Drive, but the, the concept of like needing to get four of these like circle, circular kind of shapes yeah. objects. Well, I imagine like Puyo Puyo games have been around for fucking yeah, long, but, long, long. But this was time. on the, the Mega Drive. So. But I mean, like longer than that. Like, really? I'm pretty it? sure this was Japan's response to Tetris. Uh, I'm pretty sure because games, a variation of that, and like Bubble Bubble and shit like that. 
have been around donkey's ears. Like, I've known of games that do the Puyo Puyo thing for a long time. Let's have a look. Maybe not under that name, you know, that brand, shall we say. But it, it I, it's a thing that I feel like has been around for a good long while. Uh, 1991. Yeah. So, uh... That's pre-Mega Drive, I know. No, Mega Drive was was around about that time. Okay, actually, Mega Drive was like late eighties, because Auto Beast was like eighty nine, huh? I think okay. or nineteen ninety, very very early on. Yeah, um, it possibly could have been that uh, the Mean Bean Machine might have been like the Americanized version or something, mm. and they just slapped the the Sonic franchise Doki Doki on Panic it. style, kind of yeah. Um, so I looked up Sonic Team. Uh, yeah, basically they are either making Sonic games, fantasy style games, or Puyo Puyo games, uh, and they've done all the bad Sonic games. Yeah. So that's pretty much. Apparently, there's a game called Sonic Cafe that came out on mobile. I have no idea what that is, and there's no Wikipedia entry for it. So I'm just gonna move the fuck on. <laughs> that um, that was gonna do it for uh, playing this week because I, I I don't really like I, apart from I thoroughly recommend it and think anybody would even a marginal eye towards puzzle games should do it. It won't it, like it'll madden you sometimes um, when you're trying to like when you get pretty far on in it, but not nearly as much as other puzzle games we've advocated on this show. I do not think. Um, let's move on to the news. Whoop, whoop. News on the mark. Fucking hell, Mark Robinson. Grand Theft Auto V in the news again. Having now topped 80 million sales. That's fucking mental. Um, people like this game a lot. <laughs> uh, who doesn't own this game at this point? I don't know. You know? Uh, so there's still some people. Um, It's going to be... We're at the end of the summer. It'll be four years since it came out. September 2013. I think. Now, obviously, there's been several versions of the game, and I mean, there, there was a, a console shift, you know, of the game. Yeah, so there was the original release and then the re-release. Yeah, and then on PC as well. Yeah. So you know that. But that that helps. came along with the around the like just shortly before the 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 re-up, didn't it? For yeah, yeah, yeah. It was around about the yeah. time. Um, it's one of the best games of the last few years. It's fucking brilliant. Uh, for my money, I know a lot of people love GTA 4, but for my money, it's head and shoulders above GTA 4. What will be curious for me, because uh, we have some other Rockstar news uh, in the news this week, mm. is how Red Dead 2 will do in comparison, because I don't know exactly what the sales figures for Red Dead are. Um, let me go and have a look. I assume it sold quite well. But I think that Possibly, you would have a lot of people that would come into Red Dead Redemption to either A, on the back of Red Dead Redemption, or just B, on the back of, hey... Knowing what Red Dead Redemption was, because people who played Red Dead Redemption, Red Dead Redemption haven't stopped fucking talking about it since. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. What, did they, what did they sell? What did they sell? What did they sell? Legacy. Um, not finding anything. Red Dead Redemption sales. Um, By... As of February 2017, it shipped over 15 million units. So, you know, significantly less than Grand Theft Auto 5. But obviously doesn't have the whole... Well, it's never had a PC release, which is, you know, the thing people are banking on. One thing that's very interesting to me is that um, the driving force 
uh, as MCV put it, behind these sales, are still physical copies of this game, selling at a rate of 75% to 25%. That's fucking mental. Yeah. Although I suppose the way I looked at it was, excuse me, <laughs> the way I looked at it is that people without um, really good broadband packages would rather buy a game that size physically than digitally. Yeah, it is. Like, I'd be interested to see something like Metal Gear Solid Five and The Witcher as well, because they're some of the bigger games. And Arkham Knight was a really large file as well on day one. Um, yeah. To see what um, the percentage is either way. I'd love to get the breakdown on that. But uh, suffice to say, it's absolutely ridiculous. I was, ple- I was pleasantly surprised to see that uh, Mafia 3, in this same earnings uh, report, Mafia 3 broke 5 million units, which I think um, should have done more. Should have done more. Um, because it's a really, really excellent story. Well, it had... It was what? I think like uh, an aggregate of around somewhere between 70 to 80%. So there were some mixed reviews. Mm. Um, uh, when did that well, come I think, out? Yeah, I think by the standard of like just how good... Because I think if this had come out before say Witcher and GTA 5 this would have been an absolute revelation because it is a very good version of the before those two games type of sandbox game where a lot of the side stuff is quite repetitive. That's where the... uh, And for me, that's where it dragged it down because we talked about this in the Game of the Year podcast is that it was up for okayest game of the year. Did it win? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it won it. It definitely... I I remember it won best uh, composite soundtrack. Yeah. Because that was a fucking banger. (laughs) But uh, the the story of it is some of the best writing in video games last year mm-hmm. and some of the best uh, acting performances as well um so good to see that uh but yeah gta 5 is an absolute fucking powerhouse uh, what i am very interested to see is uh when red dead comes out how well um they're doing red dead online uh, how well that's going to take off and what that's even going to be is it going to be because like... you can't exactly have crazy beach buggy gear drops you're gonna have to like there's gonna be a lot of there's less room to go with mad they'll just do content updates they'll just do the trackmania shit but with horses okay (laughs) there you go okay (laughs) can i have that now please although it has to be said doing like um a kind of bank heist, but you know, instead of having a getaway car, you'll jump on the back oh, no, of you, horses. No, and... you could totally like rob a bank, yeah, 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 and get away, yeah, yeah. Or you could, you know, do bounty hunting and stuff mm. like that. It's uh, like there's a lot of stuff you can do, but it's more that I, I, I am they have to be clever see the about expansions because GTA, to its credit, every couple of months have some sort of cool, shiny new toy dropping in, yeah, uh, to play with. Uh, moving on, uh, the standalone Switch dock is coming uh, shortly. And if you want to get... I think the main reason to get one of these, apart from if you break your own, is if you have multiple TVs in the house. Like, say, for example, when... um, When eventually I'm I'm living in this house and ye aren't, and I have the TV in the sitting room, I also have the TV in my office. It'll be a case of, maybe sometimes I'd like to play the Switch in the sitting room. So I can undock it, I don't have to pull out any wires down in the office and I can just redock it in the sitting room. That is a really fucking cool idea to me. Uh, as someone who has spent the better part of his life unhooking wires and cursing to fuck that I have to do it. Especially now that I have an entertainment unit yeah. in my room. Yeah. and I ha- Like, it is 
arduous to get. There, there's well, one, you haven't seen the Xbox in months. There is one slight downside to this uh, Switch dock. It'll cost 80 Jesus pounds, uh, which is a lot for it's... There's not a lot going on in that thing. If You, you haven't got up close with the, the actual Not really, dock, no. But it is... Literally, it's just the USB-C port that it sits on inside in its little cover. And then there's a breakout box on the back that you kind of flip a lid to expose. And it's got two USB ports in the front, one USB port, and a HDMI port in the back. That's it. Oh, and a little LED light to let you know the console's on. Well, there you go. There's a fiber right That's there. all that's going on in it. Yeah. Um, like, you can pretty much do almost everything with the Switch except play it on the tv without that dock yeah the only thing that it does that no other switch product does is play it on the tv because you can charge anything off a usb plug once you have the proper connector um including the switch you know you can play the switch the pull point of the switch is that you can play games on the like on your table with the kickstand and stuff like that so 80 pounds for the novelty is not great I tell you what, it's not the let's put it this way. It's not the first time Nintendo have charged a fucking premium for their accessories. Everything about the Switch, other than arguably the Switch itself, mm-hmm. is quite extortionate when it comes to the price. Yeah, you know, because uh, like the Switch itself is a pretty good deal, but uh, but everything from the games to the Pro Controller uh, to like oh, extra man. additional Joy Cons, like the the pricing is all out of fucking whack. Yeah, but. They are playing a blinder almost everywhere else because it is an incredible piece of kit. Yeah. It all works beautifully. Um, the games that are coming out on it are bangers. Uh, and like I don't describe to the there aren't enough games coming out on it because Jesus Christ, um, there are games I haven't even properly got to on it yet. Like I've barely played Graceful Explosion Machine yeah. and. Uh, played a little bit of that. It's pretty good. I've played over eighty hours of Zelda. I'm not even close to done with that game. I'm I've sorry. only played a little bit of Mario Kart. I've only played a little bit of Fast Remix, and I haven't even that. I think that's pretty much and One Two Switch. They're the only games I'm, I have. I'm so upset thinking about when I eventually get around to actually uh-huh. having to play Breath of the Wild, where I'm going to find the time. Um, well, you won't have to find the time because you can just bring it with you wherever you're going. It's true, ah. I guess. Um, do you know the the craziest like officially licensed and endorsed products by Nintendo? It, I imagine that's a that's a high bar to clear. It is some of the horseshit they would sell on their store. It is literally a piece of plastic with a slightly kind of raised uh, uh, platform, if you will, mm. and it was there that you could stick your controller into it, and so you would actually have to hold the controller so you could tap a lot faster on like a tray, basically. Ah. It was an actually f- official licensed Nintendo product. Incredible, utter fucking scandal. Uh, we got some news from Don't Nod Entertainment, who are the makers of Life is Strange, a, uh, a game that people love and that I am currently playing on the Friday Plays series. Check in on Friday for uh, some new, some uh, some more developments on that front, shall we say? And uh, without kind of saying it's a direct sequel, there was uh, a video where the guys from Don't Nod. Uh, thanked everyone because the game broke 3 million copies sold uh, and they just what they kind of got around saying was uh, they are doing a new game set in that world it's not necessarily Life is Strange 2 
it's not necessarily with those characters exactly but it is set in that world and it's another one of those so people are very very excited and speculation has already started however i would not be expecting it anytime soon because as eurogamer found out when asked asking them to comment about when we can see news on it square enix do not plan on being present at e3 this year so we will it is unlikely we will see life is strange unless it pops up in a little segment uh, on you know sony stage or something like that yeah but i would be doubtful because it's kind of a they seem to be so early in the process they don't want to say anything about it and there's it's so close to e3 now that I would have thought maybe they would just keep quiet if there was something at E3. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. Our E3 prediction show will be next week, probably, actually. Uh, I mean, fucking E3 is... Uh, E3 right is a week after next. Yeah, so... Um... We probably have to do our prediction show next week. Yeah. Boom, boom. Um, yeah, so Life is Strange fans, rejoice. King of Kong. <laughs> I just the pause there was because I saw Walter Day pop up on my screen as I flicked over to the news, sto- news story and my heart fluttered <laughs> news broke this week and I immediately sent it to goddamn everyone I knew God, King of Kong A Fistful of Quarters the greatest movie ever made I don't mean just documentary. I mean no, movie. It's the, the greatest thing ever committed. to I was going to say it's. You could almost say it's. It's like the one greatest of the, piece of art. The, the greatest the, piece of media. It is the apex of humanity's achievement in the arts. But also, in some ways, kind of the worst. No, I think some of the people in it are the worst. It is a masterpiece. I, I, <laughs> I suppose you're right, and I will fight you <laughs> if you say otherwise. Oh boy. So it looks like this is going to become a musical. And I could not be happier. I have already tweeted you and I've informed you that I don't care where, uh-huh. where this ends up. Whether it's Broadway, whether it's the West End, we are there. Preferably um, on opening night. Seth Gordon, the director of the documentary, has been very quiet on what we can expect from the musical. But he has confirmed... That the folk song sung in the middle of the film by video game referee Walter Day will be in the musical. Uh, of course. Uh, that, that classic museum of your heart. Oh, man. Now, Mark, I, I, I intentionally didn't uh, ask you to prepare anything on this. So I will, I will throw it to you blind. If you were the casting director for oh, a King of Kong musical, <laughs> who are you casting and why? Um, fuck. Okay, well, the first one, the most important one, is Billy Mitchell. Uh-huh. That's a real tough one to tackle. Who could pull off the mullet? Do you know who I was thinking? Because I think he'd really get into it, and he's a Broadway guy. Hugh Jackman. Uh, yeah. I think Hugh Jackman would ham it up as Billy Mitchell, and I want to see him with the ironed-down hair and the American flag tie. Um, I I had a I had a weird one. I don't know if he can sing because I don't know what his experience is on Broadway that I can recall to my to mind. But you know who I'd have as Walter Day. Mm-hmm. Already mentioned him on this podcast, I think, or shortly before we started. Jeremy Irons. <laughs> um, I I just I don't know. I'm not very good when it comes to this kind it's of thing. Tough. What about Steve Weeby, the Everyman? 
Probably Daniel Bryan. I, I was thinking Jack Black. Uh, oh, yeah, know, but he's kind of schlubby. No, nah, and he can sing. Like nah. I'm trying to think people that can actually because sing. The thing is, is he has to be like actually kind of devoid of charisma, and Jack Black is. is That's true. Steve Weeby is not the most exciting person. I'll tell you what, film. and this is very niche for us, but Vinny Caravella. No, Vinny, as in uh, shoulders to really Vinny. No, it's in very high. Like he's kind of oh, got the fra- hell. he's kind of got the frame. He's kind of got the, yeah, the lack of yeah, charisma. Okay, okay, <laughs> that's a fucking weird one. Well, all right, I'll go along with you on that one. But uh, you got to look forward to that. Hopefully, debuting somewhere. Uh, um, do you know who'd be a great what would I actually? Who who? Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Okay, <laughs> I've, you've I'm, gone it. You've gone a direction on I've, that one. I've now just like you know I'm throwing names out there. Yeah. I've gone mad. <laughs> and you know what? Fuck it. Billy Mitchell just have John Cena. I was going to say, just Michael Fassbender. He's, oh in, he's in everything. <laughs> oh, Jesus. He's in everything, and he always got that air of being sinister like Billy yeah. Mitchell has. Um, Xbox One Game Pass, the uh, the program that I'm convinced has been instituted solely as a middle finger to PlayStation now, is launching on the 1st of June. It's a Netflix-style subscription service to Xbox games on your Xbox One. It will be priced £7.99 a month and include, from launch, 100 games. Uh, if you are an Xbox Live Gold member, uh, from the 1st of June, you can play. You can try it for 14 days for free. Uh, some of the games uh, you can play on it from the start include Halo 5, Gears of War, Sunset Overdrive, Resident Evil Zero, the full Bioshock trilogy, plus Spelunky, Terraria... Brothers and stacking. Um, that's a pretty. It's pretty good if you like. If that's, you know, if you're not someone with a billion subscription services already and want to play a fuckload of games. Um, problem with that, obviously, then is that you don't really own any of those games if your subscription lapses, kind of like a PS Plus sort of thing. Um, but the one thing it definitely has over PlayStation now is that you download the full game before you start playing. It doesn't play from the cloud. None of your Gaikai bullshit. Um, <laughs> so when they can feel free and comfortable to pop uh, like Twitch shooters on here and they'll react perfectly fine because you're downloading them, playing them off the console. Saints Row 4 is on there as well, which is a, quite a mindfuck of a game and I love it. But uh, what do you think about the, the Game Pass? Uh, I mean, I don't have an Xbox One, so... What do you... The concept. It's, uh, look, it's a great concept. And it's a much said, better model. As you, Yeah, as you said, it's very much uh, one of the few things that Microsoft can point to and say, yeah, Sony, you ain't got this. You ain't got anything close to this. Mm-hmm. So, Is there 30 quid a month? Something like that. Mm. Yeah. Um, For it, all PS3 games? Yeah, I, and like I think they're adding PS4 now, aren't they? I mean, at this point, you know, the Xbox One is basically just an Xbox 360 emulator. Yeah, you know? which, in fairness, I didn't have an Xbox 360, so that appeals to me. <laughs> sure. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, and like, it's still the best uh, version of the WWE Network app. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, but the back catalog for the 360 is fucking insane, um, mm. and I don't know how much goes into like how much how the architecture works, but like a lot of the PS3 slash 360 games like a lot of them just played better on the 360 anyway yeah. so like it's great in... Bioshock 1 yeah Bioshock 1 uh, Bayonetta um, there's a whole list of games so yeah like, like I can't I can't fault it it's one of the 
key things that Microsoft can sell itself on, and I think they should definitely hammer that home when it comes to E3, because uh, God knows what else they have to actually try and sell themselves on at the moment. Mm. Uh, half the press is, by the way, because while it's still here, uh, I haven't watched it yet, but there is a, a an actual a trailer for the Castlevania animated series that's coming out on Netflix. Ooh. So I'm going to have to give that a little bit of a gander afterwards. In a piece of news that is sure definitely not to bring screaming assholes swinging out of the rafters, Battlefield 1 uh, has announced a new DLC that includes first female multiplayer soldier. Uh, Battlefield 1 publisher EA has announced the game's first female multiplayer character to be added via upcoming expansion uh, in the name of the Tsar. Battlefield's global community manager, Dan Miter, shared our first look at the fighter on Twitter last night. The unnamed soldier will be part of the first Russian women's battalion of death. The all-female squad was formed in real life in 1917 and one of several such battalions from Russia to be involved in the war. I believe there's a book written on them that's very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't recall the name of it, but uh, I'm, I may try and look it up and drop it on the, on the pod next week. Uh, but, yeah. Cool. About time. Whoop, whoop. Motherfuckers. Um... And I'm sure that's not going to make anybody angry at all who is, you know, dickheads. Yeah. Fuck those people. <laughs> if, if you heard that and got angry, fuck you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Have a word with yourself. Yeah. Um, but that's pretty cool. I always definitely advocate because uh, I, I feel bad that as a, as, a, as a white, straight male, all video game protagonists were ciphers for me growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is much harder to do when you are a female or of a different race or of a different uh, sexual orientation. Um, it is tough to find protagonists in a game you can directly relate to in some sort of way. Yeah. Um, so more of that, please, is what I say. That is what I have said, and I have said it. <laughs> Thank you. An update from IO Interactive. Uh, there have been layoffs, uh, which has come hot on the heels. Yes, yeah, I kind of thought this might happen. Of the uh, separation from Squeenix. Now, what I will say about this is that a lot of people will will jump to the the whole them being shipped off and the the future being kind of up in the air about that studio. But what people will tend to forget is from next week. Next week, I think, or the week after, is the last elusive target for Hitman Season 1. Mm-hmm. And for anybody that works in game development or knows of game development, when development finishes on a game, there is a period of downsizing. Mm-hmm. There will be layoffs. Once a game and the support thereof is completely finished, layoffs happen. Yep. Happens everywhere. Yeah, because this is what happens is usually with any game they'll sign on a whole bunch of short-term contracts yeah. uh, for animators. To finish it up or for aftercare UI, or every, as yeah, like yeah. a DLC team or something like that. Or even just you will take on more people as the project becomes bigger when you're in development and sure. then you will shed those people afterwards because it's an enormous expense as unfortunate it is and you hate to see people in the industry lose their jobs. But the way the business works is they're looking at the bottom line and they don't want to keep like you know random foley artist number 100 on staff during the year where the creative people are coming up with what the game is going to be while everyone else is twiddling on their thumb it's not going to take a year but you know what i mean yeah during that period of time where it's very early and these people aren't needed yet they're not going to pay them to sit around doing nothing um, so it is understandable, but at the same time, you never want to see people lose their jobs yeah, at it's, all. It's, so let's not panic that this is bad for IO. It is the awkward uh, side of the video game industry in terms of its development or how games are developed. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I do think happens in the AAA space so much. I do think that there's a lot of people out there that don't either know about it or just don't understand it, um, which is you know fine because a lot of people just hey they just want to go into a store, buy their game, go home and play, you know, and that's mm. as far as it goes. But there's, there's look, look what happened to Irrational Games, the the Bioshock people. That was one of the biggest studios yeah. under the the two K um, banner, and. Ken Levine decided afterwards he was burnt out on making games of that size, wanted to make smaller projects. So pretty much everybody is gone from Irrational now. It's a very, very small team. Um, and those people are off doing different cool things as well. Like all those people are really fucking talented. And that's the thing. If you're in the industry and you have talent, people will always be looking. Because just as there are games that are finishing up their cycle and shedding people, there are other games that are starting to take on people. And one of the, the good things as well, as we've seen over the last uh, good kind of five to ten years, is that when a, a studio does fold in or when a game finishes, uh, when a, a project's finished, you know, you'll get like three or four, four people from a company will just go off and do their own thing. Um, like from the, the kind of death of, of a company, you know, you'll see four or five new ones kind of prop up out of nowhere, usually with like interesting, kind of smaller, quirkier, um, but, you know, ultimately more interesting games. So, yeah. You know, that's just it's just the lay of the land with with the video game industry. We have our Nathan Drake for the film adaptation of Uncharted, and it's not who you expected. Uh, pretty much since the first Uncharted game came out, Mark, there's been one name synonymous with playing that role. And do you recall who that was? Uh, no, Nathan Fillion. Okay, star of Firefly. Um, he has been the guy that the internet has wanted for that role on the same level that, you know, you know, the, the Donald Glover as Spider-Man campaign went on for quite a while. That, that kind of a thing. That was the, cause Nathan Fillion basically is Nathan Drake. It's, mm-hmm. it's, they're very similar in a lot of roles, uh, Nathan Fillion has played. It seemed like a perfect fit. There was a time there where I seem to recall Mark Wahlberg nominally attached to the project. <laughs> so a bullet dodge in that respect. Um, so the Uncharted movie looks to be focusing more on young Nathan Drake uh, than kind of grizzled in his 30s, maybe 40s Nathan Drake that you see in later games. Uh, and the actor that has been tapped to play him is Tom Holland, best known to people at the moment as the MCU's Spider-Man. Um, who is about to be the star of Spider-Man Homecoming coming out in uh, coming out very soon. Actually, a, a third trailer for that dropped today, and it looks, ooh, tasty, that film. It's like John Hughes doing a super superhero film. I like it. Um, but, uh, yeah, Uncharted is one of those things where I'm not sure if that makes a good movie, because a good Uncharted movie we already have. It was called Indiana Jones. You know, that's that's pretty much where that character comes from that's pretty much what those those films and that those games are about i i don't really know if you can do a good uncharted film that isn't pretty much uh, an indiana jones film but not as good because harrison ford isn't in it and it's not one of the first indiana jones movies mm-hmm. um yeah any any thoughts are you do you what what do you think like of the kind of stuff we know is in development video game movie wise is there any that you think has a better chance than another i don't know why people held on to that idea that assassin's creed might have been the good one i mean those games can barely stick together a cohesive story most of the time the, the thing is is that like 
There was no point ever making an Assassin's Creed film because the game, you know, has its own cinematic qualities, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And the problem with a lot of the bigger games in terms of trying to fit them into a film is you're trying to take like a 10 to 12 hour experience and put that into an hour and a half, two hour, you know, uh, experience. And what you end up with half the time is you end up with a scriptwriter who has never played the game, yeah. so he's just, you know, trying to wing it. Or you have, certainly in the case of, like, Max Payne, you have an actor like Mark Wahlberg, there he yeah. is again, who didn't play the game, was very open about never playing the game, just was like, yeah, I'm just going to put my own spin in it. Yeah. Um, and you had a director and a scriptwriter and an actor who didn't know what the fuck they were doing. By, um, my, by my count at this point, still the best actual adaptation of a video game is that first Silent Hill movie, which is a completely middle-of-the-road, bland horror movie. Um, but, but it's very it's well-acted because Sean Bean is in it. You know Guess what? what happens to him? Look, <laughs> I think the original Mortal Kombat film is perfectly serviceable. It's it's not no, it's it's good in the way that like look look look, look it's look. it's good trash. Look, the first time, it's trash. The first Silent Hill film yeah. is tonally acceptable, but yeah. it's a boring fucking film. Yeah, no, it's but doesn't mean it's perfectly middle of the road horror film. Mortal Kombat is also tonally acceptable for the the content it's working with, and it's highly fucking entertaining. It's right. not. I strongly suggest not in the way that they intended it to be entertaining from the outset. You you say that. I do. You say that. I do, and I'm uh, correct. Uh, no, no, uh, it's not self-aware. Uh, because if that movie is self-aware of what it was, it wouldn't have been good. It would have been like Sharknado 2. Uh, it would have been Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. Well, it wasn't. It was Mortal Kombat, and it was yeah. great. Um, gee, that's a whole other fucking podcast. But um, uh, the, the, the two, I think, that people hold out hope for, even though one is just in someone's drawer not getting made because it was moving quite along for a long time and that was Bioshock yeah again I just but here's the thing right so because that's a cool story and a cool like I think something that's important for the first video game movie that's good is good world building yeah yeah. like visually that that could be a great film but Mm -hmm. they'll fuck up the, the the script and here's the thing right like in terms of story Uncharted doesn't. It's just this fuck all there, you know. Mm. It's like you basically. As well, like there's this, there's the stuff with the like the like um, there's the stuff with Sir Francis Drake and stuff like that. That's like there there <sighs> are in the particularly because you got through was it the first one when you were playing. Here. I played about four hours. Of the so first like one the second the one and the third one are where they actually start to bother their holes about story and and actually trying to make it a bit interesting. Um, and Uncharted Four is a good story. Uh, it's alright. It's pretty good. It, it's like it won a lot look, of best story awards. Yeah, I know. But the thing is, right you when it comes BAFTA? when it comes to video game stories, you know. Yeah, but uh, like that's There's what you're really going, that that's great. what you're going to have to look at to adapt into a film. You can't go best gameplay and try and adapt it. Right, here's the thing: the best Indiana Jones type film that has come out since Indiana Jones three was The Mummy. All right, just putting it out there because <laughs> the original but, mum, um, actually Mummy one the, and Mummy two. The, are the like other the other one films. that everybody says, but again, it's another case of like you're basically adapting a game that was already essentially a film, and that's The Last of Us. Yeah, again, it's... You, you do a Last of Us film that is basically just live-action recreations of exactly what The Last of Us and was. what's the and fucking point? It's a good movie. I just, there's just no point. Just play the fucking game. 
<laughs> yes, there's no point to you, but in terms of actually making money at the box office, there is a point. Oh, yeah, fuck off. Look, I'll tell you what. No, but that's like, you like, can't, you can't not acknowledge thing. that's the world we here's live in. Here's the thing, right. Now, the Tetris movie, now that I'm fucking interested in. That, right? You know that's just going to be pixels, but even, like, even worse. I'm not entirely convinced on that. Does that have a director? Does that have anything? Pixels? No. I, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, 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 uh. no, but Tetris. Uh, I don't know. It's one of those things where, I, like, I don't even know if it'll ever see the fucking light of day. Do you know? Because I am infinitely more interested if... Um, Although, pre- they made a Battleship movie. <laughs> yeah, they did. Uh, yeah, well, I think they were trying to sell that on having Rihanna in it, but... No, I think they wrote the script and they went, fuck, we need to get Rihanna in this. <laughs> All that. <laughs> I, but still, I'm infinitely more interested in films that use just fucking out there, like what you would not expect a video game to be used to turn into a film. Uh, like, if they decided to fucking yeah, use... Yeah, so make a Super Mario film. <sighs> yeah, we should go back and watch that one day. So I should make a Mega Man cartoon. Hey, no. <laughs> the Mega Man cartoon is great. But I would go for a fucking Spelunky film. I imagine that would be Indiana Jones. Uh, you know what, whatever. Uh, the Spelunky cartoon would be pretty bomb, actually. I'm sure. Yeah. Um... One last story before we go into our uh, our releases for this week, uh, our release news is for, news for this week, um, and that is uh, a story about Nintendo being a pretty good, pr- pretty good sport about things. Uh, this is coming from Eurogamer. A blind child's letter to Nintendo has gone viral after the boy received a heartwarming response back from the company written in Braille. Ten-year-old Hibiki Sakai from Osaka, Japan, wrote to Nintendo to thank the developer for creating his favorite video game series, Rhythm Heaven. Hibiki enjoys the rhythm-based games. His father, Ketanaru, explained on Twitter, despite life-saving eye surgery, which left him blind at the age of two. My son Hibiki is blind, and he has perfectly cleared every game in the Rhythm Tengoku series, the only games he can play, Hibiki's father, Kentaru, wrote. Thanks, Rocket News. He sent Nintendo a letter, and they actually responded. So his letter goes, My name is Ibiki Sakai, I'm in the fifth grade, I am blind, but I've always wanted to play video games like everyone else, but there aren't many games I can play at all. The one game I can really play is Rhythm Tengoku. It's the only game I can enjoy together with others, and I never lose at it. I've gotten perfect scores on all the versions on the Game Boy Advance, Nintendo DS, Wii, and 3DS too. So I really, really want you to make more Rhythm Tengoku games, and it's perfectly fine if you make them a little harder too. I think that I think there are a lot of other kids with visual impairments who want to play video games but can't, so I'd love you to develop more games for people with handicaps to enjoy playing with others. I will always support you, Nintendo, from Hibiki Sakai. That is so fucking heartwarming. <laughs> Nintendo's reply to Hibiki was delivered printed on Rhythm Heaven letter paper with an alternative version printed complete, completely in Braille. Thank you so much for sending us here at Nintendo your heartwarming letter, the company wrote. We are so happy to hear that you perfected and enjoyed the Rhythm Tengoku, Rhythm Tengoku Gold, Mina no Rhythm Tengoku. It's almost like they expected this to be released. So, hey, there's the games in the series. Pick them up. <laughs> Rhythm Tengoku, the best. We have passed on your letter to Nintendo's development department. We want to keep making games that everyone can have fun playing. So thank you for your support. That's pretty cool. Um, and he started receiving uh, invitations to play in Rhythm Heaven events, which Aww. is awesome. Um, so fair play to that kid, fair play to Nintendo, and that is a strong contender for the video gamer video people in video games aren't dicks award for the year. There won't be many of them. No, there will not. Let's move on, Mark, to the release date roundup. Hey, Piccolo, mind if I ask you something? What is it? 
You're not human either, right? Yeah. And your dad spit you out as an egg, right? What about it? Are... Are you a Yoshi? Yes, Goku. I'm a green f***ing dinosaur. Can... Can I ride you? <sighs> Couple of short ones in here. Uh, the quick one out of the way first is a danger zone. The, uh... The kind of, uh... Crash Mode from Burnout Spiritual Successor uh, is coming out on May 30th. Uh, has there been any word on whether that game is any good? Uh, no. they. I think that it's it's come along at like uh, very much short notice. Yeah, it got announced a month ago. Yeah, so we'll see if anyone actually gets their hands on it before, but I don't think anyone actually has seen that game in person yet. So we wait and see. Far Cry 5, which we said uh, had been uh, Ubi admitted in a, in a call recently that it does exist. We saw a logo. We're now ramping up to the full reveal of the game. The and trailer will what, be this Friday. All the mad racists have already come out. Uh-huh. Um, it is set in a place called... In a fictional... I think a fictional place, but in a real state. It's in Montana. Yeah, yeah. it's in Montana, but it's in a place called Hope County, which I'm not entirely sure that exact place yeah, exists. Could be. You know. It's probably like a Kairat thing where the region exists, but the actual very specific place doesn't. Uh, and it seems to very much play on the themes of kind of Deep South, um, messianic horror. Um, there's some kind of hillbilly elements to it as well, based on a couple of the... Because there was a little poster released for the uh, the trailer today. That's been um that's been used quite a few times recently between like Resident Evil 7 and Outlast well, no, 2. Well, like... Resi 7 isn't really like apart from your man's accent isn't really hillbilly horror at all it like it's has. not it's not like apart from just his accent like well, not so much hillbilly but certainly like has a southern oh it's got a, a southern yeah. yeah 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 like but i like i would not put it on the kind of um it's not like, like when i think hillbilly horror i think it's like hills have eyes and shit like and that. texas chainsaw it, it well, it's a, it's it is more like Texas Chainsaw than Hills Have Eyes, yeah. uh, Resident Evil Seven. Um, there's a very specific tone when I think of hillbilly horror that I I don't necessarily get off this or Resident All Evil Seven. Right, that, okay. That's just me really splitting no, hairs. You know what I mean? Like what I'm looking for it to be kind of like is uh, that the charismatic leader is kind of this kind of uh, Fred Phelps type character, yeah, yeah. Uh, or like the the best comparison that people have made is have you ever seen Red State? Uh, no, but I know of it. Yeah, so. so Michael Parks, who passed away recently as well, mm. um, his character in a Pastor Abe and Cooper, who is who is based on Fred Phelps, that yeah. is the kind of guy I'm hoping this guy is because that is a, an interesting fucking uh, game to make. Then, yeah. Um, and as someone said today, let's really hope that that's what they're going for because that's an interesting idea to explore in a Far Cry game. And also, let's temper ourselves and not get super mad if they don't because. Far Cry is not known for its uh, deep political commentary. No, they well, it's, it's it, very it, surface level commentary. Yeah, that's the, yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's 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 all sizzle, no steak. <laughs> uh, in terms of the depth of their discourse, um, the last bit of news. I am sorry to say that Red Dead Redemption Two has been delayed till not twenty sixteen, as Mark has written, because everyone would be delighted if it was ah, twenty eighteen. Instead, uh, it is coming out spring 2018, so only about a six-month delay. That's not too bad, because it was coming out October, November, I think. 
uh, this year, and now it's moving to spring, which we can probably say is, you know, uh, that could be anything up to mid to late April. I mean, it makes sense, you know, um, there's no point in getting out over the mad Christmas rush, cause, because they can literally release They will game. destroy anything they can put when they come out. out. They don't need to worry point. about when they put yeah, it exactly. out. Exactly, so it doesn't it really does not matter when rockstar decide to put put this game out it's like the whole you know rockstar don't need to worry about e3 because no. they don't need e3 yeah yeah they don't need to worry about when they release because everyone will come and everyone will buy the game if it's got the rockstar logo on and it. like i do think that to a certain degree there are some publishers and developers out there who are aware i mean you look at nintendo you know um they're so like aware of their audience and the fact that they can just do their Nintendo Directs. Like they don't need E3. I still love the the kind of the cool uh, like news apocalypse that is E3. Yeah, it's oh, there's still a charm. Or they I yeah. say charm. From, from a business right perspective, way. it makes less and less sense. But from a like a kind of casual gamer perspective, it's still exciting. Oh yeah, of course, of course. And like it's, it's... like what fucking like the fucking year where we got. Um, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Shenmue, and what was the third one? There was three of them. Well, did they kind of announce that Last Guardian was actually like... Last Guardian, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah that was yeah. the Last Guardian had gone fucking dark for a couple of years, yeah. and that was coming out. So, like, it's it's great in terms the of... The God of War uh, trailer last year. Yeah, yeah. Last of Us 2. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I, I would never, I would never uh, dispute that E3 still has its place. Or last of Us 2 is a PSX, sorry. But, uh, oh, yeah. But um, but that's the thing, stuff like that. You know, yeah. like Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo are all aware that, look, we can just do our own events. Microsoft we... are the only ones that haven't broken out and done their own separate deal. Uh, I suppose they're not quite in the position where, mm. you know. Because but that's the thing, like, with, with Sony, up until, unless it's changed relatively recently, PlayStation was the only division of Sony actually turning a profit. Yeah. So they have the freedom to do these things. Mm-hmm. Microsoft is, or sorry, Xbox is a division of Microsoft. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and Nintendo, obviously, Just that's their whole that's... eggs basket situation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, sad to see. But I am always on the per. I am always of the perspective that I would rather a game came out working and us have to wait a little longer than it come out a hot steaming fucking pile of trash. Hello, Bethesda. Yeah, although like Prey is pretty much functional. Yeah, but as we pointed out, that's Arcane rather than the true, Thursday true, in-house. True, true, yeah. Um, yeah, there was some... Uh, I had forgotten uh, last week, I don't think I mentioned, that I had read an article that apparently in the first few hours they patched it fairly quickly, but there were some, if you got really far really quick, there were some uh, minor uh, instances of a game-breaking save bug. Oh, good times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they, they got it real quick, though. Okay. So not a lot of, there was not a lot of instances reported. It didn't get picked up as big news. Um, but Fallout 4 is the big one I'm thinking there that like they yeah, got sure. that out quickly because they everyone thought it was cool that they were announcing it and then releasing in six months and it came out and it just did not work and I don't know if it still does because <laughs> I don't care although it is free on Xbox One and PS4 this week. it is so it certainly if is. you are curious nope. try it out <laughs> um, but that's going to do it for the, the release roundup uh, let's head into our book club this week and we're going to talk about what I think is it's not necessarily one of the greatest games of all time it's a memorable game for me an important game for me and an important game for one of my favorite groups of people in the industry uh, that game my friends is Commander Keen in the invasion of the Vorticons <laughs> Thank you.
Commander Keen, an invasion of the Vorticons, a three-part, episodic, side-scrolling platform video game developed by Ideas from the Deep and published by Apogee Software in 1990 for the MS-DOS. It is the first set of episodes of the Commander Keen series. The game follows the titular Commander Keen, an eight-year-old child genius, as he retrieves the stolen parts of his spaceship from the cities of Mars, prevents an alien mothership that arrived while he was delayed from destroying the landmarks on Earth, and hunts down the leader of the aliens, the Grand Intellect, on the alien home planet. The three episodes feature Keen running, jumping, shooting through various levels while opposed by aliens, robots and other hazards. Released by Apogee on December 14th, 1990, the trilogy of episodes was an immediate success. Apogee, whose monthly sales had been around $7,000 to that point, made $30,000 on Commander Keen alone in the first two weeks and $60,000 per month by June, while the first royalty check convinced the development team, then known as Ideas from the Deep, to quit their jobs at Softdisk. The team then founded the famous id Software shortly thereafter. Uh, that introduction there spoiled the the first cool fact that i was going to throw out to the listeners that the id in id software uh, references ideas from the deep the original yeah. studio that those people worked for commander keen um it's a platforming game that is not by any stretch the greatest platformer ever made uh it is not the deepest platformer ever made it is significant in the history of gaming for several reasons. One is that it, as we said in the, the description there, uh, it gave the impetus for the ideas from the deep team to quit Softdisk and go out on their own as id Software. id Software, for those of you who don't know, although if you've listened to us for any length of time and you haven't, you don't know what id Software are, you're not listening carefully <laughs> enough. Uh, because these would be the the this would be the team that went on to develop such classics as Doom, Quake, and Wolfenstein. That is one reason why it is significant. The second reason why it is significant is it marks the first proper um, video game release helmed under the hood by one John Carmack, mad genius extraordinaire, who was one of him and John Romero were the real kind of. Um, shall we say, rock stars of 90s PC video game development there at id. Um, the third reason it is significant is because Commander Keen and the invasion of the Vorticons is the first time anyone had actually figured out how to make a side-scrolling platformer work on a PC. Hmm. Um, up until then, there had been several attempts at different platformers. I, don't, I, I had a list of people throwing shit at the wall platformer-wise, but I, I fucking forgot to bring it down with me when we started <laughs> recording. Uh, I had come across some a couple of hilarious examples, but this was the first time up until that point uh, when people tried to get uh, the, the kind of values working so that you could generate the side-scrolling effect in a platformer. You ended up with fairly jittery, buggy messes of games that didn't necessarily work, whereas Commander Keen, if you've played it, is pretty seamless in it, side-scrolling. Um, actually, one last fact is that not at the time this game was released, but canonically in retrospect, um, Commander Keen exists in the same universe as both Doom and Wolfenstein. I have heard that, yeah. Uh, the Doom Marine is a descendant of um, your boy Blaskowitz in Wolfenstein, and Commander Keen is a descendant of both of them, uh, canonically. 
<laughs> so that's a kind of that's a kind of that was a they a retrospective thing. They did not plan that out that far in advance in nineteen ninety. But uh, it's safe to say, Mark, before I throw over to you here, that if we didn't have Commander Keen, we would not have Doom. We would not have Quake. We would not have Wolfenstein. Um, it is hugely significant. It is also hugely significant personally for me because it is, I think, the second game I ever played. We've talked before on the show about how the first game I ever played, which was already entered into the book club, was the original Doom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe, because I can't remember playing Doom 2 as early as I can remember playing Commander Keen, I believe Commander Keen was my second game. And a third game, which I'm currently trying to source a physical copy of that doesn't rip me off, was a game called Gods. Um, I'm trying to find a Mega Drive version of that because I played it on the PC, but I would like it on Mega Drive because I didn't know until relatively recently that it was on Mega Drive as well. Was that originally on PC? Um, I don't know exactly. Because um, uh, I would be... Uh, I, I'd probably say that the ported version to Mega Drive, if it was originally PC, is probably not like. Um, not I've actually good. seen uh, playthroughs of both happening on YouTube and both look fine. Okay. Um, to be honest. But anyway, that's that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about Commander Keen. Um, what is your your experience, your your knowledge? How how do you feel when you think of Commander Keen? What what comes into your head? What what do you think? I've got nothing. <laughs> so my uh, I mean, help me out a little here. No, no this is the thing, right? Um, one of my kind of grey areas when it comes to video games and the history of video games is early MS DOS. Yeah, uh, this is one of the areas where we complement each other in yeah, that way yeah, because yeah. for me it's NES uh, and Sega. Yeah, um, because I didn't, I wasn't a Sega kid, and NES before my time. Yeah, and I had both. Yeah, and I played a lot on both of those. But mm. I um, like literally during the nineties, the only PC games I would have played mm. would have been uh, Minesweeper. And one of the early championship manager games. Mm, mm. Uh, so after that, like, you know, pretty much everything that was on PC that had been ported across, I probably know of, but something like Commander Keen. And one of the other games I've heard a lot about is uh, Jazz Jackrabbit. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, man. Yeah. I had Fucking a, hell, maybe we'll do that someday. I had a friend of mine. Uh, she's like, she's about six years younger than me, and she's someone that is not in any way. Fucking hell, I haven't heard that said out loud. Yeah. In, oh, yeah. She's she's in no way like into video games, but she yeah, remembers yeah. playing that as a child um, on MS DOS. So, uh, and obviously stuff like you know Scum Engine games as well. Just that yeah, whole. Yeah period has passed me by so like my my dad was a bit of a fucking computer nerd back in the day like if you had seen the shit we were taking out of the sheds when we packed everything up into storage when we started renting this place out yeah fucking hell like myself and my uncle joked to each other that he was building himself a fucking supercomputer (laughs) (laughs) or trying to develop ai out there Uh, so he was fairly up to it on the the gaming on ms dos yeah uh, back in the day so but i am curious Uh, I, i do remember him playing quake but um internet wasn't really a, a a cheap commodity at the time sure. so it wasn't something i was allowed to do yeah and you know you can't really be having dial up in a house no you know, just um, <laughs> yeah i don't know right? oh man 
You remember the, remember the days... fucking post-90s kids have no idea how easy Remember the it. days when you had to pick between either the phone or the internet. Oh, man. You know? Have you tried to pick up the phone while people were on uh, the internet? Oh, mercy me. Um, but I am curious by Commander Keen because it is a platformer. Yeah. And straight away, that has me intrigued. So talk to me about Commander Keen. Okay, so Commander Keen, uh, I would lean more on... Um, so in terms of it trying to be a, a, a mascot-based platformer, that is what is reminiscent of Mario here, and Mario is obviously always the gold standard in platforming. But in terms of how levels are constructed and the fact that a shooting mechanic is added in here, uh, I would more easily align it with Mega Man, the difference being difficulty. Mm-hmm. Commander Keen is not a difficult game whatsoever. I was fairly good at this when I was a small child. Um, well, now, granted, because I was playing Doom as a small child, <laughs> that may be misrepresentative of other small children. Well, the thing but I have keep... never been an expert at Mega Man. The, the thing to keep in mind with Mega Man is what makes that game difficult isn't the fact that it's a platformer, it's the actual shooting and the enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the enemies are fairly like one note yeah uh, early on in particular like they are the, there to be shot they are not there yeah, to shoot like, at you. whereas Mega Man pretty much straight away no matter where you start it's high level fuckery at all yeah. times going on there um one of the things it lacks that that really I think stops it from being a proper um having a lot more distinctive memories for people is that instead of a soundtrack it's it's stark silence <laughs> Right, okay. going on so it's really like when you when you start off on mars so there's like an overworld but at first it doesn't look like an overworld it looks like is this the first level because you're just walking around loose as commander keen it's not like a mario overworld where it's just a linear path showing you where the levels are you walk up to um different artifacts crashed on the surface of mars and when you interact with them you go into these levels um and the idea is to go in and out of these levels um they're there's a cool kind of um, Zelda-esque quality to the... You will encounter areas in certain early levels that you don't have the ability to get to a particular part of it for a while. So you're going to have to leave there. It will say clear because you've gotten from one end to the other. But you will have to re-enter it later on with things like... You don't pick up the ray gun immediately. You have to go through a couple of different uh, places to get that thing on what order you tackle it in. Sounds quite Metroidvania-esque. Um, it's not that complicated okay. at all. <laughs> Uh, because the only other thing is not like there are varying degrees of weapons or anything. So there's that, and then the major other thing to help you traverse the world is a pogo stick, that helps. It's basically your equivalent of being able to get a double jump. So it allows you to clear uh, bigger spaces, clear bigger gaps. It's what the impetus uh, for Ducktales came from. Then one of the things it definitely borrows from um, Mega Man, though, is the some of the areas, the more difficult areas when you're platforming, is that you do have to jump onto single bricks okay like but not it's more forgiving than mega man because they're slightly commander keen if you've ever seen the sprite for commander keen is very very slender Mm -hmm. so it's about twice as wide as commander keen there's a little bit of room for error there i wasn't falling down all that easily uh, when i went to replay it last week because you can get the entire commander keen collection for uh fiver yeah. on steam <laughs> your eyes grew so wide when it's i told so you it's so like uh, and one of the things i suppose the, the the one upside of uh playing the commander keen complete pack uh because it doesn't have a soundtrack it's a it's a really good podcast game because i'm yeah. not missing out on some bangers um 
But the thing I want to talk, like, the, the main thing I want to bring up, apart from that, I have really fond memories about. I think that's part of what our job here is at Link to the Cast is to remember, like, games are fun at yeah. the end of the day. And there are certain games. This is the second time I've brought up a game on this podcast where you have fucking no knowledge of what's going yeah, on. Yeah, first one was The Neverhood. The Neverhood. Yeah. Which, I, to this day, how it is impossible for people to find, like, how that hasn't been re-released. Yeah. Because that is, like... Commander Keen, I can understand how if you weren't there at the time, it's not a good game to go back to. I don't think this is one of those games where if you're listening to this podcast and you're going, right, Commander Keen is now on my list of things to play. If you weren't there at the time, this isn't going to be one of your favorite ones we've directed you towards. Uh, Mario and Mega Man and things like that have a timeless quality to them. This is not up to that standard. No, I lo- this You have to have been around at the time to appreciate what it was doing on MS-DOS. Yeah, well, here's the thing, right? So, the whole point of th- what we do with the book club here is, yeah, we do look at, you know, um, kind of culturally significant video games, influential video games, but this is also a, a, a thing for us and our own kind of personal takes on mm-hmm. the games that we played growing up. It's like, one of the reasons I'm sitting here now talking to you fine people about video games. Like, I have a bunch of, aw- well, I say awful, but pretty kind of substandard platformers during the early 90s like there were games like Mr. Nuts and Rolo to the Rescue and James Pond Mm. that aren't particularly great but they were the games that I played growing up you know Um, so and there are games that some people would have heard of but not everybody is fond of like for example I'm surprised you haven't nominated yet Alex Kidd Oh, it will come. Because you're you're a big fan, whereas with most people like me, that gives me night terrors. Yeah. (laughs) Just thinking about that. Fuck that game. I love that game, but fuck that game. Look, I will be straight with you. I never actually finished the original Alex Alex Kidd and Master System. I don't know if a human alive can. So, uh, look, trust me. I I will type in speedrun Alex Kidd. Uh, Yeah. You know. Actually, uh, I might type in speedrun Commander Keen and see what comes up with. There are speedruns. Literally, if you Google... Because when I was getting the the spiel to read at the start, when I Googled it, one of the first things that came up was a speedrun of the whole thing. Okay. So, Um, what is the game like in terms of your offense? Is it just kind of run... It's pretty much shooty, 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 jumpy, shooty, bang. Yeah, okay. Just one weapon, or uh, yeah. Um, from Upgrades. what I recall, as episodes go on, you might get a slightly like because again, outside the first three episodes, my memory gets quite hazy because it's the first three that I would replay over and over and over again. Um, there's real after that. It's kind of you just use those skills in increasingly like. It's the same stuff, but you're getting better at doing sure. it. Sure, and it's um, the f- first uh, first example of episodic content in games. Yeah, My yeah, word. yeah. Um, it's it, the one of the main reasons I want to bring it up, like as well as being a, a personal thing of mine, is because it, it's worth remarking that everyone's got to start somewhere in video games, and in the history of ID, we tend to go straight to Doom because Doom changed the game in so many ways and every we've said this before every first person shooter that has existed after doom owes doom a debt yeah you know um so that tends to be where we start people will also a lot of people might start with uh, return to castle wolfenstein mm-hmm. uh, some people idiots just start with quake like nothing had happened before quake hey now look quake but, is no great. quake is great but you know thinking that you know First it was darkness, then uh, it was Quake. Sure, sure, yeah. Stuff had happened before Quake, uh, yeah. is what I'm saying. Not shitting on Quake by any stretch of the imagination. Quake Champions 2K17, pick it up in stores. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it, it's just that it, 
it's a remarkable thing to think of that uh, a studio so closely associated with I've just named the th- three of the most important franchises in not just first person shooters uh, but in video game history hmm. all come from this one studio who started with a little platformer that wasn't really that great but people at the time held in high regard um, and it's also again the first responsibility of, or the first example I mean of mad scientist John Carmack figuring out how to make PCs do something people didn't think they could do. Because as soon as they break off into id, he starts developing this this fucking engine that's able to uh, create the, the kind of pseudo 3D you're seeing in, in Doom and things like that. It's fucking... The places that man goes mm. are, are quite significant. Um... And I very much urge you to to check it out. Um, do you have any other kind of um, thoughts on maybe the, the the legacy of it or or, or anything like that? Well, not that so much it. I I think we've um, like discussed it at some mm-hmm. length, certainly mm-hmm. with our previous uh, book clubs on on Doom and the like. And uh, I think that for anyone that's that interested, probably would be better going towards the likes of uh, Danny O'Dwyer and mm. his work. Um, mm. Certainly, looking at last year's Doom. Um, but because for me, like this book club feature, I'm I'm more interested in just the actual kind of game of Commander Keen itself. Yeah. Um, being an early MS DOS. Yeah. Uh, that's I, I think one of the absolutely fascinating things to me as an adult now is how a game that in so many respects isn't spectacular yeah is so at the same time significant mm. because there is a lot there is a large fan base for commander keen at the same time like i'm not alone in this but again in terms of its historical importance is amazing that a game like this has uh, such an important part of, of gaming history that, that it tends to be overlooked you know um, and the fact that like it was it was warmly received at the time, even though like I said, things were already happening on console that um, far surpassed this graphically and and musically because it had music. Uh, but one thing it showed as well, you want to talk about another thing that it helped kickstart. So you know the the the, uh, the trope of the P- glorious PC gaming master race. Um, this was really an early example on MS-DOS. Like you said, that's a thing you were fascinated in as a black spot of yours. But this is one of the occasions where something happened on MS-DOS where it seemed a deliberate statement like, we can do that shit they're doing on the boxes you're plugging into your TV as well. Yeah. Which I think is significant going forward. People going, well, maybe we can develop on this thing that seems to be taking off. And uh, yeah, I think I, I don't really have a, a like a very poetic wrap-up to this i think it's just a real think piece of, of a game to, to come into it's not the most deep story or gameplay you'll ever have so we're not going to drone on about it for 40 minutes you, you don't have it sitting around on floppy disk anywhere i probably do <laughs> i probably do now the interesting thing would be do we have anything sitting around with a floppy drive uh i could probably shove it into my mac somewhere and <laughs> <laughs> would it be where it's supposed to go though? Probably not. That's no. the thing. <laughs> uh, the interesting thing would be: would a game as commander as small as Commander Keen fit on one floppy disk? Mm, sure. Like I said, you kids don't know how good you have it now. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember. So, I remember playing fucking um, Commodore sixty four. I remember having the tapes and trying to play games off of that. 
I had a case full of floppy disks that would come free with the occasional issue of, and this may blow your mind if you get the reference point, TechnoQuest. Do you remember TechnoQuest magazine? I don't know. TechnoQuest magazine was a mid-90s technology and information age computer aimed at children, getting them to understand electronics and engineering. Uh-huh. That would have weekly uh, pullouts to go into a large ring binder. So like a four page fact sheet. Well, it's like it's it's one large page that folds together. So it that's uh, page one opens up page two, page three, sure, sure, yeah. page four goes into a large thing. And the mascots for the TechnoQuest magazine were Wallace and Gromit. Oh, really? Yeah. How about that? So they got the kids in because, you know, Wallace is yeah, an yeah, adventure sure. and things like that. So if you look up TechnoQuest magazine, you might remember the font off. It was very distinctive. I have every episode of, or every issue of that and they would I had like a full case of floppy disks when I was on my summer holidays from school sometimes my, my dad would have to take me into work with him for the day if my mom was busy and he would sit me in there because he was an engineer so they even at that time they were loaded with computers in the place and uh, he would just sit me at a computer that no one was using <laughs> just way my floppy disks learning about I don't know can um I, have, I can't even give you an example. <laughs> just some weird technology shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, good times. Uh, I suppose to wrap up this segment, uh, this isn't necessarily a game that you may want to go running to if you weren't around at the time, like I said earlier. It's definitely an interesting game that I think you might want to read into and read around um, because of, again, its historical significance. Maybe pop on YouTube and see a video of it being played so you can... It, it is hard, though, uh, you, you'll agree, Mark, being someone from our time, to try and explain to someone not from our time how significant it is to figure out how to do side-scrolling <laughs> for the first time properly on something like a PC. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's mind-bending, and that is just, that's what John Carmack does. He he plays with your melon. <laughs> that's, he's a fucking twist your mind grapes. I, I haven't, I mean, I've only watched... Um, I've only seen uh, screen grabs of the game, so like I'm probably going to go and have a look and see like if it does anything with foregrounds and backgrounds, and if there's any kind of extra details in the backgrounds and how the the sprites move. So you've got me curious of it. I do want to see. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm willing to spend a fiver on Steam yet for it. But no, well, like know. someday when we're not doing anything, I could get my HDMI cable and hook my laptop to the the TV. Uh, and we'll we'll have a go of it but uh yeah that's gonna do it uh we have one little bit of business and that's to name our game for episode 68 and i'm gonna railroad mark on this one we've decided i'm gonna do a game two weeks running because i had an idea that i wanted to do for next week so next week's game will be our last game of the week for two weeks because the week after that is going to be pretty much mostly an e3 preview and prediction prediction show but next week, we'll have our standard link to the cast, as always. And for episode 68, Mark, I am going to take you back to the PlayStation 2. And I'm going to play one of the greatest games ever made. The third entry in its franchise to be inducted into the book club here at Link to the Cast. We are going to be talking with special guest Jack Lazell, which will probably give another hint about Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater which may still be the best Metal Gear Solid game I will say this my 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 uh, my two cents 
I like everything about Metal Gear Solid Three except playing it. Except playing it. <laughs> that is pretty, that's your gimmick with the the franchise as a whole, isn't it? Yeah, I, just, I think you'd really like playing Metal Gear Solid Five. We've had this conversation yeah. before, I know. Yeah, but it, you're, it's probably better you don't because it's a very big game. Yeah, and if you did like it, you may like it too much, and we might have to take it away from you well you said that about the witcher but that didn't kind of no because i knew about your thing with swords and sorcery yeah um i knew the gameplay wasn't so good that you'd ignore all that i thought you might enjoy it for what it was but not go back to it i really am like the world's shittest nerd aren't i yeah <laughs> you're just shit <laughs> you are yeah. cool great i kid awesome. because i love on that note <laughs> fuck off that's it for episode 67 of linked to the cast this podcast is available on Sound, SoundCloud, iTunes, most co- podcast platforms, including Stitcher as of late. Just search for a link to the cast. Give us a subscription, a rating, a review. It all helps. The website, for your information, is linktothecast.eu, where we have our show notes, links, all sorts of things like that. If you want to get in touch with us, drop us an email over at linktothecast at gmail.com. Social media, though, is the most reliable way to contact us and keep up with the content we are posting facebook.com forward slash link to the cast and at link to the cast on twitter individually i am at dave ryan iv on the tweet machine mark over there is at lithium project uh, we stream some videos from time to time mark robinson over at twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast and then archive them later on youtube if you just search for link to the cast our weekly video schedule which is a little bit all over the place and probably will remain so for the next week but uh, generally speaking we go with uh, mark on mondays on mondays uh, Mark, you're still knee-deep in Axiom Verge, yep. I recall. Um, getting still, closer to the end there, still, I think. Uh, I think there's like another five episodes to go. Okay, so stay tuned to that every Monday or so. Wednesday is generally Retro Corner 64, but we are out of backlogged episodes for that, and I am not entirely sure we're going to have time to bank a couple before I go on my hollybops this weekend. Uh, But fear not, it will be back as soon as humanly possible. That is Retro Corner 64, our series where we're chronologically playing every single Nintendo 64 game released in English-speaking territories. Thursday is the podcast, link to the cast. You are listening to it right now. It is the only thing that drops that day, so you can ignore it if you want, but you would break our little hearts. Please, please listen, download, tell a friend, all things like that. Friday is Friday Plays, my series uh, where I uh, take you through whatever I'm playing at the moment. We did Prey a couple of weeks ago. Getting back to life is strange this week now that I'm on a a, a kind of, there's nothing coming out that's flashy that I want to show everybody. Uh, We're going to go back to the realm of all sadness that is Life is Strange. That game has gotten real fucking grim, Mark, even by the lofty standards of grimness that have yeah, been hitherto discussed on the programme. Every time we have this discussion uh-huh. about that game... It's a deep, dark well, man. It's a yeah. Smith's album in interactive form. Oh, let's, let's not talk about Morrissey at the moment. Um, in addition to that, I must plug that uh, at some point over the next week or so, we are going to have a new edition of The Grapp-Up. Our, uh, our little side project here at Link to the Cast where we talk about all things professional wrestling because, uh, as I said, I'm going off on my hollybops this weekend. I am going to Progress Wrestling's Super Strong Style 16 tournament taking place this weekend in the Electric Ballroom in Camden. Myself and Jack Lazell will be the roving reporters on the scene and uh, we'll be popping back with a podcast next week. The first half of which was recorded earlier this week. It was a smashing program. Uh, yourself myself and young jack talking all things uh wwe independent professional wrestling and throwing some uh 
predictions in there what we thought might happen at super strong style before we even knew a single match that went up when we just knew the 16 people that were in it shaping up to be a good show we'll be back talking about that at some stage next week so for episode 67 of link to the cast i've been dave ryan that man over there who looks like he might fall asleep at any moment is mark robinson hi bye (laughs) we shall see you all next week